0: Welcome to Matters of Fact, I'm Christian Esguera. Today we'll talk about a possible vice presidential run for President Rodrigo Duterte, an idea being floated by members of his own political party while the Philippines is battling a new surge in COVID-19 cases. Now speaking of the pandemic, we'll sit down with the Department of Health to help us better understand what's driving these new coronavirus infections and how far behind a vaccination drive is so far. Then we'll talk about last weekend's plebiscite for the proposed division of the province of Palawan, the first ever vote held in the Philippines during the pandemic, and a rehearsal of sorts on how the COMELEC would handle the much bigger 2022 elections. First, the news. The Philippines recorded 5,404 new COVID-19 cases on Monday, the fourth highest single-day tally since the start of the pandemic. It is also the highest daily tally in seven months. The positivity rate also climbed to above 10% for the sixth straight day. Overall, the country has recorded 626,893 COVID-19 infections since last year. The death toll stands at 12,837, while recoveries are at more than 560,500. Malacanang admits contact tracing efforts can still be improved to help contain the new surge in cases. But other than that, other than that it maintains the government has done an excellent job in handling the pandemic.
1: Yung kumpirmasyon na nasa Pilipinas na yung mga bagong variants, at ito mga bagong variants na may kakahawa, ito ay isa sa mga dahilan ng surge. Hindi po dahil palpak ang gobyerno. After we reopen the economy, ito po, October 12 tayo na ng ating ekonomiya, pababa pa nga po ang mga kaso. At tignan ninyo, matapos ng Christmas Day, pababa pa rin ang mga kaso. So wag po natin sisihin yung ating pagbubukas ng ekonomiya.
0: Joining us now is Dr. Beverly Lorraine Ho. She's the Director of the Philippine Health Department's Disease Prevention and Control Bureau. Good morning, Doctor, and thank you for joining us on the program.
2: Good morning. Thank you for having us.
0: So basically, what's driving this latest surge that we are seeing?
2: Well, as you can see though, uh, it's here. Um, Several other factors are driving the surge. So for example, in terms of transmission rate, we see that um, there are breaches in the health protocols that we're implementing, but also we cannot discount that the variants have an effect on increased um, transmission rate. Also you'll see that um, because of the gradual opening up that we have been undertaking we have seen that there have been more interactions more mobility um, among the population and that will um, inevitably drive um, increased contact rates no and then of course um, most of our establishments are still in the process of complying um, with our ventilation standards so that would also be a possible driver and finally um, in terms of duration of infectiousness um, we um, note that people will have to start um, seeking care earlier when they do have um, symptoms and really try to isolate themselves. Uh-huh. So these are just mm-hmm. some of the drivers that um, are causing the increase in cases.
0: So it's a combination or a cocktail of, uh, of uh, factors Absolutely. driving this surge, no? Uh, but how big a factor really are the new variants that have been found here in the Philippines, specifically uh, the locally developed uh, variant that was detected?
2: So currently, it's still labeled as um, not a variant of concern, and that's something that um, is not within our authority to do so. We have submitted it to um, the global authorities, the WHO, and they're um, investigating this um, type of variant and they should be able to let us know whether this should be a variant of concern. But um, the other variants that we already have found in the Philippines which have started in other countries, um, there are already evidence of increased transmissibility.
0: Uh, When are the results uh, expected to come in as far as the locally uh, developed or discovered variant is concerned?
2: Currently, we still don't have um, a concrete date when we will find out. Um, but we're in touch with WHO on a daily basis. And so we should be able to to announce it to the public as soon as we have it. Uh,
0: and so far, how many uh, cases have been uh, found linked to this new variant which was locally uh, developed?
2: So far, um, I think I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, I'll just make sure that our numbers are, are most updated.
0: Okay. But uh, there have been several so far. Is it safe to say that? Yes. Yes. And help us understand when you mean uh, variant of uh, concern, what exactly do we mean?
2: So when we say it's variant of concern, it means it has clinical significance. No, So mutations are quite common um, among viruses. And because they move from one person to another because they needed to have a host, this is part of their um, reproduction process, right? However, there are mutations that have no clinical significance. It means they have no implications on, say, transmission rates, on how infectious the virus is. But there are mutations, um, which we know about, uh, The Named um, mutation, uh, the named variants, um, they do have clinical significance. So, as of this time, um, the advice to us is that um, the variant in the Philippines is still not a variant of concern.
0: Okay, as far as we know, we don't know yet whether that is more trans- uh, transmissible, basically. Now, the, the latest surge that we have been uh, seeing uh, can this be considered as a second wave, as some people uh, have been uh, describing it?
2: Um, so per WHO's Dr. Um, Rabi, he has already um, answered this and categorically he has said that this is still part of the last wave because um, we haven't really gone towards a sustained downward trend and so this is still part of our second wave.
0: And how, but, but how different is this latest uh, surge that we are seeing now? compared to the uh, increased infections that we saw last year because it's quite bothersome today that i think uh, let's say in two or three days we're seeing um, uh, at least four thousand cases so basically you can talk about uh, in the vicinity of ten thousand in two days that's quite alarming to a lot of people but how different is the surge compared to those that we saw last year
2: i think um what we need to understand is that the viruses also adapt right and so um this is the new kid in the block, um, so to speak, and the cocktail of um, factors that are causing the increase. And we're seeing that indeed, no, the increase is much faster than um, what we've seen in the past. And so clearly, this is a cause for concern. Um, but we wanted to remind the public that the variants won't be able to move from one person to another if there's actually no breaches in protocols, if there is no um, more increased contact rates. No? So the way that the virus gets transmitted is still the same. So in the same way, we will be able to prevent it um, in the same way, only that we have to be more consistent and correct in the ways that we do the habits that we have um, been doing the past year.
0: And I take one concern is that uh, we've been uh, in this lockdown for more than a year now. Um, We marked the first year uh, yesterday, and the concern is that we might squander the gains over the past year if we do not do what needs to be done now, right? But uh, basically, what are the lessons? I I mean, are we better equipped now uh, in terms of dealing with this new surge compared to last year? What are the things that um, that we did last year that can be more effective in terms of dealing with this latest surge?
2: Um, So first of all, I think we need to understand that this entire response to the pandemic is a pendulum, no? So it's not a one-way direction wherein you you win round one and then that's it, no? So it is several rounds with the virus, especially now with the variants. So our um, strategy also needs to tighten up and also needs to be more um, consistently applied. So last year, we were able to invest in many health system um, interventions, for example, more quarantine facilities, more testing facilities, um, and even more beds for COVID 19. I think uh, moving into this new phase, um, wherein variants are really um, more predominant in the scene, we need to make sure that um, active surveillance is continuously going to be done. Um, by local health authorities. And by this, we mean that um, the interventions at the barangay level or even at household level, um, if they they detect cases, will have to be done faster. So yung delays natin into testing, into isolation, into contact tracing will have to be significantly reduced. So very, very efficient um, ways for our health authorities to do it. Second is we need to understand that we cannot um, afford any more large-scale lockdowns, right? Um, health is socially determined as well. We need people to have livelihood. Um, as such, we need to find a, a really good balance between opening up and opening um, safely. And for that, we need the cooperation um of um, many of our establishments largely because uh, making our workplaces safe um, is not as easy as just behavior changes there are engineering controls that need to be done um, and they will require um, some costs no for example making sure that the ventilation um, in workplaces are going to be compliant with um, the recently issued Dole standard. So may mga adjustments na that we have to um, really work on together because they would cost money, they would um, entail effort um, and not simply just um, actions.
0: But, but, but of course, all these measures can also be seen as just a way of holding the fourth, uh, so to speak, because we are still waiting for this uh, uh, for this vaccination to actually uh, be more effective. Uh, that was already begun by the national government, but mm-hmm. at the rate things are going um, in terms of vaccination, how soon do you think I would be able to catch up or somehow uh, deal uh, more effectively with this uh, surge in cases?
2: I think a lot of the the pace of the vaccination um, for the general population. Um, will be contingent upon the swift arrival of the vaccines in our country. And I think it's been repeatedly stated that 80% of global uh, supply of vaccines have already been taken up. And our government is working very, very hard to make sure that the vaccines arrive um, the soonest possible time. At this point, we do have um, rollout limited to healthcare workers, and that provides... uh, practice so to speak but um, also that the pace will be different than it will be for the general population and that's primarily because um, we recognize that based on statistics there will be a uh, number of healthcare workers who will likely fall ill no and that's based on normal um, adverse events, minor adverse events that may happen after vaccination. So we can't rush it. no. So we can't say, a hospital, you have to finish everyone in two days because they might not have enough workforce the next day to come in. Right? So it is uh, a different pace compared to the pace for the general population. But um, based on Secretary Galvez's pronouncements, uh, we are on track. The negotiations are on track and the deliveries will be on track.
0: But when uh, is the vaccination for the general population expected to finally take place realistically?
2: so as soon as we finish um, our healthcare care workers, um, last night, um, they announced that 2.3 million vaccines um, from COVID will still uh, be arriving. And with that, um, we're almost going to be able to complete um, our healthcare workers, you no know, 1.8 million of them. So with that, we will f- start already with senior citizens um, who are part of the general public.
0: Okay. Now, speaking of uh, adverse events, um, there were reports regarding uh, Um, side effects linked to, for instance, AstraZeneca. But here in the Philippines, what's the advice coming from the Department of Health?
2: Um, We have already issued a statement about this um, three days ago. Um, We echo um, what our WHO has already mentioned and several other um, national regulatory agencies. Um, There's no reason for us to halt um, our vaccination with AstraZeneca. And it is very important to note that the... um, rates of thromboembolism that have been found um, are actually within no, or lower than the regular rates in the general population. We have to remind everyone that certain conditions like this happen no, even in the general population. So we are comparing it with the rates for which uh, with it happens. Um, with the vaccinated individuals. But since it's uh, lower, it's within um, regular rates, then it's um, something that we strongly feel that is still not a cause for concern.
0: Okay, Dr. Beverly Ho, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. A new surge in COVID-19 cases is sparking serious concern here in the Philippines, but this has not stopped the ruling PDP Laban Party from looking ahead at the 2022 elections, where it wants President Rodrigo Duterte to seek the vice presidency. Now, certain groups are also said to be urging his daughter, Davao City Mayor Sara Duterte Carpio, to run for president in what could be a Duterte-Duterte tandem next year. Joining us now is Melvin Matibag, the Deputy Secretary General of PDP Laban. Good morning, sir, and thank you for joining us on the program. Yeah, good, good morning, Christian, and good morning to all your uh, viewers. Okay, this resolution coming from PDP Laban urging President Duterte to run for Vice President, uh, just uh, for the record, is this supported or sanctioned by the leadership?
1: Well, uh, we, we heard of the Acting President that it's not sanctioned by the leadership, but uh, uh, let me tell you, this is not something that was uh, done uh, intentionally by by the group or by the members. But that, but this was happened uh, spontaneously when we are having our consultative assemblies.
0: So, w- what what drove this resolution, and how many, uh, how much support does this have so far from the party?
1: Uh, let Let me just give you a brief background of, uh, of this one. On, on February eighteen, Secretary Cusias, the vice chairman of the party, uh, issued a statement. He made a call to all PDP Laban officers, uh, officers, party leaders. And uh, those who are elected and appointed to support the effort of the president, specifically the national development vaccination uh, program in the Philippines because of COVID-19, for the people to be confident and uh, comfortable with the vaccine. We know for a fact that this is a strategy employed worldwide for us to, to recover from this pandemic. As to put in, this message into action, not mere talk, so we organise assemblies to hear our PDP members from the ground, especially those who in power who have their own constituency as they work and serve directly from the communities they, they lead. We started with consultative assembly, uh, March 8 in Taguig. We circulated manifesto. It's a manifesto of support uh, to President Duterte so that it may reach him that. The PDP laban with him as our chairman, support him and we want his COVID action plan to succeed. Uh, mm-hmm. So that the economic programs and its new project will continue it that was
0: interrupted by the ongoing pandemic. So saan so, pumasok yung so, vice presidential run?
1: So yung vice presidential run, nung matapos na magpirman ng manifesto of support, uh, nag-open po room na mga question and... Uh, the manifesto of support, meron doon na sinasabi namin na uh, we want this pra- uh, program of the uh, president to continue na beyond 2022. So, former congressman Ricky Sandoval stood up, he's one of the participants, he's the president of PDP Laban in Malabon. And isn't, eh kung gusto natin ng continuity, bakit hindi natin convince yan si Pangulong Duterte na tumakbong vice president. Okay. And uh, there was a discussion, of course, it was as Will that be legal? May, may problema ba? Uh, what, what do we think will be the reaction of the president? And uh, Chairman Abalos, as a member also of PDP, stood up and said, if that is the case, let's put it in a resolution. Let's adopt it to a resolution, uh, which was seconded by Mayor Edward Olivares of Paranaque. Okay. So we, we, we made the resolution, and the takeaway of that resolution is the manifesto of support. But, but how many members
0: mm, how, how many members of PDP Laban are supportive but, of this resolution so far
1: at that time we are about 30 members mostly from metro manila and uh, there are few from bulacan and from laguna also because they're the neighboring provinces of uh, NCR so everybody signed it the uh, congressmen and mayors and uh, former officials also and uh, um, all members of PDP attended the forum signed that
0: uh, resolution but, but uh, as of today, how many are supporting this? Uh,
1: uh, as of now, uh, uh, nagpunta na to sa ground. Eh, because in Pangasinan, I know I was informed by our Vice President for international Affairs, uh, Secretary Lambino, even to Barangay level, is going around already. And uh, after no March 8, we went to Cebu. There are about 40 mayors who attended the, the assembly. Nung nalaman nila yung resolution in Manila... Uh, they adopted
0: it as well so so are so, you saying now? Uh, is it safe to say that this resolution is gaining traction
1: uh, the resolution uh, uh is taking a life of its own Talagang na siya Marami na and in fact uh, let me tell you Christian, uh, at dito na instead na nadidivide yung party it's uh, it's being uh, shown that uh it's uh, actually the president third as the chairman of the party is the single person who can unify the party kasi ang daming tumatawag ngayon na dating PDP gustong bumalik ng PDP. Wait, and so, so,
0: everybody wants to sign the resolution. So, so how do you regard the statement coming from the party president, Senator Manny Pacquiao?
1: Uh, I respect the, our acting president, Senator Manny Pacquiao. But uh, you, you know, Christian, uh, meron kaming mga pinaniniwalaan na prinsipol sa sa PDP yung kagaya ng uh, uh, consultative and participatory democracy. So how can we stop yung mga members na who want to sign it. And let, let me state it for the record, it was not Secretary Kusi who initiated this this uh, resolution. Nanggaling talaga to sa ground and it's not only from the leadership ng mga PDP locally, but I think that is the sentiment, sentiment to ng mga ordinary members, their constituency. In, back in, in 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 Lapu-Lapu City, hindi na nga partido yung nagpase. The City Council of Lapu-Lapu City adopted the resolution urging the President to run as Vice President okay. for
0: continuity. Just to be clear, uh the statement coming from um, Senator Manny Pacquiao as Party President, that is not stopping this push uh through this resolution for President Duterte to run for Vice uh, uh, President?
1: Uh, Christian, I, I think it will not stop kasi gusto, yung mga, na, ang clamor ng eh. Kami naman, kami naman sa, sa gru, si Secretary Cusi, ang gusto lang niya talaga is the manifesto of support. Okay. But when we go around to get the support for the manifesto na bibigay namin kay Presidente, hindi na yung issue ng resolution because okay. now, it went out on public and we have to admit seven seven months to go before the filing of candidacy.
0: Okay. Now, given what's happening on the ground, according to you, uh, and the so-called clamor for President Duterte to run for Vice President, but there was also a statement coming from Senator Manny Pacquiao uh What about the standing of Senator Pacquiao within the party? Is it in trouble? Is his position in trouble because of this?
1: Uh, hindi ko siya makonnect dito eh because uh, there is no inconsistency. I, I know that uh, si Senator Pacquiao is the acting president of the party. Tapos uh, for the benefit of the party and the country, hindi ko naman makita yung reason kung bakit uh, natin pipigilan Kung the vice, the vice presidential candidate will be President Duterte, alam nyo mas mabigat nga na issue to kay President Duterte. He will be making a supreme sacrifice na he is already the pinnacle of power being the president of the nation and we, he will humble himself to be the vice president for the benefit of our country okay, for the continuity.
0: That was quite uh, curious. Uh, the, 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 the term that you use, supreme sacrifice, how exactly would that be a supreme sacrifice coming from the president?
1: Well, uh, imagine, right? if you already reached the pinnacle of power, then we know that uh, after that, he should be just enjoying his retirement and uh, probably enjoying his uh, time with his family. Pero for, for that to, do, to, to, to run again for another office so that he continue what he started, we, we know uh, admittedly in the party, everybody will agree the campaign of the president against drugs, against corruption, against poverty, terrorism, crimes, uh, it's gaining ground. It, it gained ground, actually, and it's being successful. Yeah. Plus, that, not to mention the 10-point the uh, economic agenda of the president. So okay. um, for, for the purpose of continuing it so that everybody will benefit, so okay. medyo mabigat sacrifice.
0: sakripisyo presidente. But one way of also looking at this is that, um, number one, it's not usual, of course, for a president to run for vice president uh, in the subsequent election. But one way of looking at this is also somehow, this could also be construed as, uh, forgive me for this term, addiction to power. Naka like six years can president, why would you stay on as vice president? And number two, I'm sure you've heard of this. Uh, this could also be seen as a way of protecting the president against a slew of cases or criticism that would, likely come his way after he steps down in 2022. So it's more of self-preservation. How do you respond well, to this?
1: Well, well that, the, that, that opinion, I, I will respect those opinions ng mga magsabi niyan, but uh, uh, there's always two sides uh, uh, sa story, and uh, I, I firmly believe that mas mabigat na we, we he, he made this uh, uh, yung mga ginawa niya to, to improve the, the standards to mga tao is something, pero yung sa hindi addiction to power uh what's the other one yung uh, uh, to avoid uh, the self-preservation it's being self-preservation. criticized it's being criticized every day and uh it, it, it comes with this position uh, self-preservation I don't think you know that the president is already 70 plus na yung presidente natin and uh, uh, you know that yung, yung natural course he will be uh getting older by by the day and uh I don't think he's still concerned about that. He's more concerned on what he can do for the country and the, that's how we think also in pdp 11
0: Okay. Now, if uh, you want President Duterte to run for vice president, who should be the running mate, the presidential candidate?
1: Well, it will go through the process as well. But uh, of course, uh, you clamor din ng tao na nagsasabi na if he will run for vice president, we'll give him the, the leeway to at least uh, recommend or choose the his presidential running mate. So we have a situation now probably that we know that uh, we have a formidable candidate for vice president and uh, it's the other way, that's the president who's asking for uh, an approval that he will be his running
0: mate. In your case, are you in favor of this uh, tandem being pushed by some groups, supposedly? The one floated by uh, Secretary Panelo, Sara well, well, for president, President Duterte for vice president.
1: Well, uh, my personal opinion, I I, I will uh, agree to that because at the end of the day, it will be the Filipino people who will choose who will be leading the nation. If, if, if the Filipino people agrees that uh, uh, we will be better that way, then uh, I think that's uh, that's acceptable. That should be acceptable to so so, so
0: personally, you're in favor of that. But won't that go against the very principle of your own party because I know for a fact that your party is also uh, uh, v- uh, very passionate against political dynasties. And here, you're talking about a daughter-father tandem at the national level, not just in Davao.
1: As I said, it will go through a process in, in PDP. Right now, uh, Mayor Salado Tertay is not yet a member of PDP Laban. But since you asked the question, if I agree to that, then I, I'm amenable to that. And what I said is, that is my personal take. So, yeah.
0: I understand if, if, it's your personal take, but I'm trying to uh, uh, trace certain consistencies between your personal take as a party member or party leader, and also with the DNA of the party as well as the party principles that you're trying to espouse. Because yeah, yeah, why, sorry, in the first yeah. place, embrace the idea of a daughter-father tandem at the national level if your own party is against supposedly political dynasties?
1: But, but, but you know, in in every in every principles, there are hierarchy and there are balancing of interest. If we find it uh, that it will do more good and will promote more of our principles, then why not? So may, may balancing yan eh. So yung sinasabi mong political dynasty, the reason why we will be against it, if it's, it is something bad, it will result to to something that will be worse yung situation rather than good. So there will be a balancing of interest and uh, I, I think records will reveal both uh, President Duterte and both Mayor uh, Sara Duterte. Uh, they have good records in, in their uh, public service record.
0: But uh, the thing that you mentioned about uh, balancing of interest can also be seen as political expediency uh, in, in, in many cases. Now, if you talk about a father-daughter tandem running for president and vice president in 2022, that was, of course, acceptable at the local level that happened in Davao. But if you are talking about the presidency, that could, that would, leave a very bad taste in the mouth. And we're talking here of uh, how such a push would reflect on and affect Philippine democracy. How do you well, respond to that?
1: Uh, Christian, let, let me uh, uh, let me let let us put person perspective. We are just speculating yeah, that yeah. it will be 30 to 30. in them so. Uh, anything that we will discuss here that is will be based on that speculation, that the tandem will be to uh, 30-30. You know, uh, I, I, as I said, it will go through the process. We have a lot of uh, potentials that can be our presidential candidate, like Senator Manny Pacquiao can be one of our presidential candidates. Senator Bongo is there. We have uh, other three senators and other personalities who are members of PDP Laban. But going back to your position, if it's being accepted locally, I don't see any reason if it will be it cannot be accepted in a nationwide the uh, uh, scale. Uh, as I said, if it will be accepted by the majority of Filipino people, then I, I think we should respect it as our uh, 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 as a democratic country. Okay.
0: Now, so, how, how much premium does the PDP-Laban still put in terms of um, competence in choosing candidates? I'm asking this question in the context of your track record before. Uh, PDP Laban got so big, at least during the time of uh, former Senator Aquilino Nene Pimentel Jr., we were talking here of uh, stringent screening processes before someone could be admitted or accepted to the party that they had to you know, be we, indoctrinated with the very principles, right? It, but, but, yes, but right it's now.
1: being done still. It's being done still. The only only before, during the time of Senator Pimentel, I think we, we had this the uh, basic membership seminar that we are calling It's being done uh, before it's done like three to four days, but now it's being done like we shorten it into like four hours of the day. So we still go through the process of BMS and uh, the selection process of the candidates, still a democratic process of selection. That's why we have this uh, resolution going around convincing the, vice, the president to run for vice president because it's part of the democratic process.
0: But have you even communicated formally with President Duterte and asked him whether he was agreeable to this?
1: Well, we are trying to to gather enough uh, numbers. I mean, if we have, but I'm sure the president is aware of it already, and uh, sooner or later there will be a reaction from the president. And uh, we don't want to to uh, preempt anything that he will will say. But uh, uh, for sure, this is being discussed by by the president with this, uh, uh, with other members of PDP in the cabinet.
0: Okay, Mr. Melvin Matibag, thank you for joining us this morning, sir. Thank you. Moving on, Palawan Governor Jose Alvarez accepts defeat as officials canvass the votes in Saturday's plebiscite in dividing the province into three. So far, the no votes are dominating the towns of El Nido, Aborlan, Sofronio, Espanola, San Vicente, Nara, and Brooks Point. In contrast, the towns of Rizal and Bataraza voted yes. At the municipal level, canvassing also showed residents rejecting the proposal to create the provinces of Palawan del Norte, Palawan Oriental, and Palawan del Sur. Alvarez says he regrets the opportunities lost by the province, including getting three shares in the country's internal revenue allotment, but he respects the outcome of the plebiscite.
3: Tinanakot is not only by social media. Pinuntahan talaga doon. Karamihan at tinanakot. Lalo-lalo na yung mga, mga tutupo. Meron yung mga interest groups na tulad nung Mina, Isang Mina sa South without mentioning names. Eh tumulong din doon sa uh, groundworks. So, ayaw eh, mo lang.
1: That's part of the uh, plebiscite process. So, papayaan natin.
0: Let's now discuss last weekend's plebiscite in Palawan and plans for next year's national elections. We have with us the uh, spokesman of the Commission on Elections, Mr. James Jimenez. Thank you, sir, for joining us on the program once again.
3: Thank you for having me, Christian.
0: The official results of that plebiscite in Palawan, when are they expected to be uh, made known?
3: Well, uh, we've already canvassed, I think, 18 out of 23, and uh, we're scheduled to reconvene today at 2 p.m., so I imagine that uh, we're really
0: close to proclama- to proclamation now. So that's probably within the week, sir. Mm. Uh,
3: could be within the week, could be could be today.
0: <laughs> okay, could be today. Now as far as the turnout of uh, uh, voters or participants in the election, uh, what was the turnout?
3: Yeah, it looks like uh, uh, we're already more than 60% voter turnout. Again, with only 18 uh, precincts reported, uh, we're at 60% voter turnout. So that'll only climb higher.
0: Uh, a, a voter turnout of at least 60%, uh, was that uh, unusual for a plebiscite of this scale?
3: Well, yeah, I think I think so. Um, for the most part, people expected uh, this to be a low turnout event. Uh, but again... Um, the reality on the ground proved everyone otherwise.
0: Okay, and, and how about, uh, were there reports of, let's say, of uh, certain irregularities on the ground during the conduct of the plebiscite and what is the Comalek uh, doing regarding those?
3: Well, uh, there were a handful of, of incident reports, but they were really not serious. Uh, for instance, there was a report uh, of some barangay officials uh, trying to prevent people from voting, but that was resolved very quickly. And uh, But there were no significant uh, incident reports, uh, no violence, for instance, and no disruptions of the voting.
0: So basically, not enough uh, supposed incidents that could uh, affect the credibility of the plebiscite. Absolutely. And also, uh, no massive disenfranchisement of voters that could also uh, question the credibility of the outcome.
3: No, in fact uh, in fact, we did have a high turnout and, and uh, while people did have uh, a bit of a time trying to find their precincts because um, it's a new procedure that they were using instead of going to the polling place to look for the precincts there, they had to go ask um, at the voter assistance desk. So while it was a new procedure, um, everyone still got to vote and everyone actually exercised their right of suffrage without any difficulty.
0: Okay, now we know that this uh, plebiscite was also important as far as the COMELEC was concerned because this could also serve as uh, some sort of a rehearsal of sorts for the 2022 national elections. Let's talk about the procedures and what exactly could be adopted as far as lessons were concerned in the 2022 elections.
3: Well, uh, the main thing is that uh, what we saw was that our our COVID-safe protocols were actually working. For instance, uh, using voter assistance desks in order to remove the the, the, con- the congestion at the entrance of the polling places. That was a good idea. Um, it was also a good idea to be able to provide um, sterile gloves to all of the voters because um, at least we, we were uh, enjoying a high degree of confidence that there would be no transmission. And of course, the fact that we used uh, polling booths for the first time after a very long time was... Uh, also helped uh, create a sense of security that people were safe while they were voting. Uh, so we're we're going to have to scale up a lot of these activities, of course, because uh, the Palawan plebiscite only handled around 490,000 voters. Mm. And we're looking at at least 61 million voters in 2020, 2022. So uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of scaling up going on. Um, the, uh, and one other thing that we're really looking forward to um, refining is, of course, the use of uh, isolation polling precincts. Isolation polling precincts are the separate voting facilities provided for people with uh, with health issues uh, on election day. People who, for instance, uh, come in with temperatures higher than 37.5. So, um, this procedure we found was very useful, not just to, uh, to give a sense of confidence to the voters, but also really to uh, to isolate those with uh, questionable health statuses at the, on election day. So How, uh,
0: how about the flow the of people... the uh, body? Oh, sorry for using the term body. The flow of the people <laughs> of the voters in the polling precincts. Ideally, how long should they uh, stay? Are they supposed to stay in the polling precinct? And then how about the, the, the path that they are supposed to take? Coming in and going out?
3: Well, the path the path is is fine. Uh, the the single file uh, single file scheme, for instance, where you go in one door and out another, with a minimum of uh, crisscross for for people walking into the polling place. That's that's very good. But we'll have to we'll have to have a caveat on on the voting procedure and the time it takes, because this was a manual election, so okay. it'll still be very different. With an automated election system, so uh, that will have to be refined further. Mm-hmm. But in general, uh, the way the the polling places were laid out, that was very useful for us this time around.
0: And I suppose that this would also entail additional costs for the Comelec, Uh if you're Absolutely. going to uh, impose other restrictions, for instance, <clears throat> or health protocols. How much are we are we talking about here?
3: Well, uh, I can't put a figure uh, a figure on the number yet. But uh, just just consider this: uh, in in uh, twenty nineteen we had around eighty four thousand precincts, mm-hmm. and that was three teachers per precinct. And now in twenty twenty two we're looking to have at least one hundred ten thousand precincts. So uh, just talking about teachers alone, you're already looking at a substantial increase in the cost of the elections. Um, and then you have to consider, of course, the the um, the health supplies that you're going to have to give out to people. Uh, in in Palawan, we gave out uh, we gave out foot baths, mm. uh, sterile gloves, masks, and uh, hand sanitizers for every polling place. And you're going to have to do that uh, again with uh, 110,000 uh, polling precincts in 2022. So yeah,
0: it'll be a substantial increase in the cost. And of course, that would have to be uh, requested uh, in your proposed budget for next year uh, in Absolutely. Congress this year, right? So, yeah. time ballpark na as we speak.
3: Uh, we're, we're still looking at the, uh, how much it's going to cost. Uh, we're probably going to be able to come up with a ballpark figure soon.
0: Okay. Now, regarding the extension of the voting hours, um, is that very likely? Because, given the experience in Palawan, di ba, you're, you're going to um, implement a new procedure. Uh, for safety purposes. But again, we're talking here of the much bigger 2022 national elections.
3: I, I think it's it's pretty certain that, that we're going to have to extend voting hours uh, for longer than usual. Um, of course, we're weighing that against the fact that teachers uh, will be pulling very long hours of duty on Election Day. As you know, teachers who serve on Election Day usually start their day at 4 o'clock in the morning because they're going to have to withdraw the supplies from the municipal treasurer, and to have them work longer hours on top of that might be a uh, might be a big ask. Uh, one of the things we want to make sure is that we don't want to exhaust our teachers, because exhausted teachers will, of course, make mistakes. So uh, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to refine. The, the practices that we're going to use, um, again, in, in, in Palawan, that wasn't so much of an issue because there were very few voters, uh, relatively speaking, only 200 voters per precinct. And, uh, well, the turnout was, of course, different uh, from what we would expect in a national elections, which would be presidential, in fact, okay. in
0: 2022. Now, in terms of uh, existing policies or even the uh, local absentee voting law, is there something that we can uh, somehow take advantage of or explore further uh, to, to to limit the, the presence of uh, uh, the, to limit physical presence in the polling precincts next year?
3: Well, we're working closely with Congress to make sure that. Uh that, they, that were able to pass the absentee voting law. And in fact, uh, one of our commissioners has been very vocal about the desire for that law to be passed because right now the absentee voting law, uh, the local absentee voting law, I should say, benefits only government uh, workers and uh, members of the media. Whereas we're looking at the regime where, where we want uh, absentee, local absentee voting to be available to senior citizens and the vulnerable sectors at least. Uh, this will help us decongest the uh, polling places on Election Day as well as make sure that these vulnerable sectors are given the protection that they need. So uh, we're pushing that with Congress and hopefully Congress can uh, pass that law soon because that would, be the, that would be the
0: most ideal solution at this point. Uh, and so far what's the status of, the, of that particular push?
3: I believe I believe they're coming up to uh, to a third reading, perhaps. Um, Really not sure, but
0: I know it's moving forward. But there are counterpart proposals in both houses. Yes, there are. Okay, but but uh, assuming that that is not uh, passed, for instance, how do you intend to deal, for instance, with uh, with senior citizens and others with comorbidities? You mentioned that there will be isolation. uh, uh, facilities for those who might be showing uh, symptoms, but how about the elderly? Even yung a yung handicap. Every election problem, eh,
3: right? Well, when uh, if, if in the event that uh, local absentee voting isn't passed and we're not able to to decongest uh, polling places that way, one of the possible solutions is to <coughs> double up the load on the uh, isolation polling places so that they become uh, they become priority polling places for people with vulnerabilities. Um, that is a possibility, although right now, again, we're really betting on the absentee voting. Again, in the realm of what's possible, then that's what we can do. We can use the IPPs for these other vulnerable sectors so that they have a separate voting, voting place uh, that will allow them to be protected more than the usual.
0: Okay, Director James Jimenez, thank you for joining us on the program again, sir.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: And that's our show for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen to our interviews again on the Matters of Fact podcast, available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content of NC shows on YouTube. And thank you for watching. See you again tomorrow.